0: Welcome to the Big Kids Book Club, a podcast about all things fictional from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of The Big Kids Book Club. And joining me on the show today, a repeat visitor, a friendly face returning to the show. Uh, Her brand new book, The Mermaid Call, is out now from Nosy Crow. It's Alicotta, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, Marcus. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me absolutely back on the show again It's been so nice when we get repeat visits from guests Uh, although we were just chatting before the show how it seems so long ago last August back in episode 86 where we talk about the house on the edge I know it does isn't it how's the year go so quickly though (laughs) indeed but let's find out how your year has actually been going like house on the edge got released uh, and now you've had a year of reception what's it been like what was the buzz and how's it been like interacting with maybe some of the readers in schools
1: It's been really lovely. I mean, obviously it was a funny time to release a book because we were just coming out of a lockdown. And so everything, a lot of what I did promote it was online at the time. And so in the last six months, I suppose, We've been starting to get back into schools again as authors. Um, World Book Day was the big, I think, the big moment when schools opened the doors again. And it was fantastic. It was just I had a crammed week of going in, um, just engaging with children. And it always blows my mind. So I do an activity with House on the Edge and about create your own spooky house story. And every single child comes up with a unique, different story when they do it. Not one is duplicated. And it always reminds me of how magical imaginations are, especially a child's imagination. It's unique to them. And it gets me buzzing, you know, when you're writing your next book, it's really important to have that connection with your readers.
0: Oh, that's, so, yeah. that's, that's yeah, that sounds fantastic. Because obviously, that's, you know, stories are there to be enjoyed, they're there to be read. Uh, I, I know most authors, you'll write a story and sometimes it is just for you. Obviously, you do want your your story to be in the hands of other people to enjoy them, to explore those characters and the plots and the adventures.
1: I definitely, I think it's crucial actually never to forget your reader. I think there is a a danger as an author you can go down a sort of more self indulgent what I want to write about, but I think it's essential that you always have your reader in mind. Um, and I think not having seen readers as much within lockdown was a was a problem. And so, it is just fantastic to be out there again and just hearing what children like because every child again has a different appetite for books and stories and they'll read The House on the Edge or The Mermaid Call but each child will have a different take on it um, and it's so useful as the writer sort of harvests that kind of range of reactions.
0: Yeah that's it you said the uniqueness of each reader and that uniqueness does play quite a trend in the latest book The Mermaid Call uh, yeah. coming out now from Nosy yeah. Crow It it definitely sort of stands on, I'd say, the ground because the one of the very core underlying sort of themes that came through to me. Obviously, you you instantly see the mermaid call. You think, oh, it's going to be just about mermaids. There's so much more than that. There's a depth to it. Do you want to give us just a quick synopsis about what the mermaid call is for our lovely listeners to get their heads around?
1: Absolutely. So the main character is called Vivian, and she lives in a village called um, Lake Splendor, which makes its money from its legendary mermaid in its lake that's been there for centuries, similar to Loch Ness. It's a mystery. Does she or doesn't she exist? But they don't really care. They just make their money from it in the village. And there's a mermaid festival and a mermaid crown. And Vivian um, lives above her grand shop that sells mermaid dolls. Um, But the problem is that Vivian doesn't feel like she looks anything like a mermaid. She doesn't feel she's pretty enough to enter the mermaid crown. And along with her friend Eric, they kind of feel they don't really fit in the village. Um, She's also reeling from a rejection from her mum, who's constantly travelling around the world. And so when this enigmatic girl, Alice, enters her shop, Vivian finds herself going into this quest to locate Alice's dead aunt, because Alice believes she actually joined the mermaid beneath the lake. So what begins is a dangerous quest that leads them into these murky, murky areas and caves and watery um, dangers to see if the mermaid does really exist but it also brings in a bit of suffragettes and feminism and protesting and very much the message at the centre is to find your true self and own it.
0: Yeah absolutely that that was what the brilliant twist on it where you obviously at the start of it you have just what looks like a very clear-cut mystery and I think Initially, it seems that's where the story's going to go, and you, you sort of feel like Alice does sweep Viv off her feet, really, yes. quite yeah. quickly. I mean, but it's also because I feel like you talk about like owning your true self. Vivian's never really felt comfortable in her own skin, and so she's almost willing someone to take her and sweep her off her feet. And the idea that the mermaids and the transformation of becoming a mermaid, the uh, the free traits. Or the trials they have to pass uh rebellion courage and, and the transformation yeah they're all they're all aspects that speak to vivian as possibly someone who like i said she's not felt comfortable in her skin she's got this wild hair and she's you know she's just not allowed to straighten. mimi who's her a grandma who looks after her yeah. it's like don't straighten your, your hair and stuff like that there's yeah. a lovely lovely thing at the start of the book as well it's like whose mirror are you looking in when yes. Whenever Vivian says, oh, I don't look good or something like that, she's like, whose mirror are you looking in? Which is a, a lovely quote. And I wonder if that's like a an actual sort of saying that you've maybe heard, uh, like a, a rural saying or whether that's just something you create. Because I, I loved that.
1: I don't think it is. Well, I hope it's not. <laughs> you never know when you, when you think of things, but it was an original thought at the time. And it very much came from kind of the fairy tales. The mirror has always played a big, you know, important element in fairy tales. But I think I was looking as well, thinking back to my own childhood and my early teens, mirrors become so important. You are constantly looking at the mirror. do you look like everybody else? What's that spot doing? your hairs mad? You're constantly looking at yourself, and it becomes this relationship with yourself, the mirror, I think, especially at that age. And I wish somebody had said to me, "Look in the mirror and see yourself, your true self, because I think it's so easy. I found it very easy at that age to fashion your opinion of yourself based on other people's judgments, so it's it's other people who hold up the mirror as opposed to looking in your own mirror. And so as I was writing it, that, that feeling and that my own past really became um, important to the story. And that quite just, yeah, popped into my head as I wish somebody had told me that. And there was one message I'd love kids to take away from it. It is that, to question, well, you know, whose mirror are you looking in? Is it your own or everybody else's?
0: Yeah, because that's just one of the things, like there is such a strong character in Mimi being that sort of reinforced Sort of parental figure, which is really nice because you do see sometimes a a lot of, especially middle grade. It sounds quite tropish, but they'll get rid of parents or grandparents in a way of either they'll be they'll be an orphan, or something Mm. will happen where they they might be in a circumstance that can sort of isolate the kids so they can have the adventure away from any sort of parental authority. Um, But Mimi really is there, and she is a, a rock in quite a sort of a choppy, turbulent sea. That that sort of Vivian's finding herself very much floundering in, you know, she's she's barely able to keep her head above water, you know, mermaid puns. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Was it important for you to have that retrospect where rather than because she does go on her and Alice definitely go off on adventures and they do go off and do create some mischief on their own away from it. But she always comes back. And also that whole longing that she's so desperately craving, her mum's like validation and attention. Was that important to get those parental figures like actually in the book rather than just off to one side?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I think I think it's a you know it's a useful thing to do to kill off parents in a book, but I think often that is more suitable to maybe the magical, the fantasy but I think because mine is very much based in reality and part of reality are the adults that you're living with and that's kids experience that's how they grow whether they're good or bad it's how they relate to the people around them and I think one of the the big elements of this story and the house on the edge is about when you don't have the traditional fit so you don't have the two parents loving you and being there for you all the time something's changed and with Vivian she's still got an adult in her life but it's not like everybody else she hasn't got the two parents you know or even just a mum there and so it's It's playing with how that makes a kid feel and how the journey you have to take to, again, it's like the whole mirror thing. It doesn't matter that everybody else has that or they seem to have that. It's about what you have and what is great about it. And it's that journey Vivian has to go on to recognise the value that Mimi brings to her life. Because I think Mimi's had a hard life as well. Even though you don't go into a lot of backstory in a children's book, I hope that sort of comes through a bit the fact that Mimi doesn't get on with her own daughter it's that whole dynamic and um how you just have to find what suits you who you swim with which fish you swim with um so yeah I think it is really important for me in the books that I write to have those adults there and to have to try and develop the relationship within the story
0: absolutely and the one of the things I also really enjoyed about this book, going slightly a bit deeper, and uh, maybe some people might want to put their fingers in their ear if they haven't read it, because there might be some slight spoilers to it. It's not mm-hmm. what I'd call ne- necessarily the big bad in the regard that there is a single, like you say, in fantasy, there's normally a dark overlord or something like that. Yes. Instead, the darkness here is almost that darkness within each human heart. You know, you're looking at certain characters who might not necessarily, like, act bad, but they're definitely either acting selfishly To their own Mm. intent, or they're lying and twisting and and using other people. So Alice, in the way that she basically manipulates Vivian, Mum, in the way that she's completely just self-absorbed and just damn right awful (laughs) in that regards. And then also in this that some light where the town itself, in hiding the truth in the box, yeah, they themselves just misdirect. Pretty much everyone, you know, they're they're doing that to basically keep the town afloat. And I can understand that. Interesting that you chose this rather than a actual, maybe there being an actual mermaid Mm. antagonist in the book. Instead, choosing that human element. Was that potentially something worked off from the original? Was this something that came in as you were writing? You're like, oh, I think this is happening. Because as a writer's perspective, it's interesting not having a solitary antagonist to go up against.
1: Yeah, I think again, I think that's you know, I think it can be really useful to just have a, a, the big bad. I think I um, I think I prefer to look at the more the complexities in every human being. I don't think there are. It is, you know, as easy as bad and, and good. I think we've all got a bit of both in us. And I think it depends on how you've been nurtured or the experiences you've had as to which path you take. And so people like Alice and Alice's gran and, you know, some other sort of oh, yeah. bit more mean people in the in the book, you know, I kind of, again, hold their backstory and I feel sorry for them because I know where they've come. I know how they've reached this point. I know why they're vulnerable, why they're insecure, why they're, they tend to be nasty. And so they're not sort of as clear cut antagonists as you would maybe have. And I kind of prefer that because I kind of think, I kind of think for children as well, it's good to sort of sometimes navigate the the grey areas, that there isn't just like, hey, that person's done something bad. That means they're bad. I think it's better to say, well, why, why are they acting? Why are they behaving in that way? You know, and what is good about them and how can I connect with them? And it's all of that sort of the more complex side of being a human. So I'd never really have one antagonist and I often, the antagonistic force definitely often is more about the person that the the hero themselves, what they're fighting against, their their self-belief, which is Vivian, how she sees herself. That to me is the big antagonistic force. And so I don't want to confuse that by having just this huge evil person or monster there um, because it's about what's in her and the other people can just validate that in her head. They can. bring that out of her, that antagonistic force, that monster in her, they grow it, as opposed to the good lot, like Eric, and Eric's dad. Oh, Eric's love. Yeah, who grow her hero. So that, I prefer to look at it as a force than an actual being or person, because I kind of think that mirrors life more. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I love a book with a clear antagonist, and not, you know, I love that too, but for me, as a writer, I prefer the force of antagonism as opposed to a, yeah, a being. Um, but in terms of the memory, that was kind of more, I suppose, that metaphor because i you know i grew up loving mermaids loving the the mystery and the story But then, you know, in my teens, I became very much a feminist and I've always adored the suffragettes. And the two just didn't seem to tally. You know, the more you read about mermaids, the more you realise they're all written about by men. They've been created by men. They're about women being alluring or dangerous. So it's all about men's perception of women, which is, again, that whole mirror thing, perceptions. And so it's, you know, it's a question to myself and to my characters. Can you love a mermaid and also be a feminist? Can you? You know, is it possible? And so that was kind of... um, mermaid became more this sort of good or bad as in part of that question that I was asking
0: indeed it is and yeah lovely that you said that I completely forgot about the dragon you're completely right (laughs) because the entire entire book being referred to as the dragon and then you break you break down actually like what's going on and yeah you can't judge every person as sort of black and white they you know various shades of gray that people go through and experience in life so uh, I definitely agree I, I like the idea that antagonist force rather than just you know a solitary antagonist, but you hinted there about the suffragettes and they do play quite a significant part, especially for like Lydia and Violet, who are referred to often as the mermaid girls are the ones who first yeah. heard or saw the mermaid. So mm-hmm. really, they really set the town up as a sort of tourist destination because of it. Yeah. Now with suffragettes, there is a lot of history there. And I know there's quite a few books that are starting to come out this year referring to the suffragettes. Did you do much research into actually like, I know there's there's reference to Amelia Pankhurst in the book mm-hmm. as well and stuff like that about Like, did you go back and do some research into the suffragettes?
1: I did loads I mean I've always been a big fan so I I knew a fair bit already but um, I did loads and loads partly because it was just a luxury to have an excuse just to go into their stories again so I did loads of research but it's a funny old thing when you write a book and especially because the children's book is a bit smaller you do hours and hours and hours of research but only a little teeny bit will probably make the actual page but it doesn't matter it's like a backstory as long as you have that confidence and you've got the the backdrop of what you know kind of I think it informs your writing so I think it's really important even though it doesn't you know make the final copy to do all that research so yes I did loads and loads and loved it and found out so much more about them especially the working class girls you know, because I think very much suffragettes often focuses on the ones who had money because they had the time. Basically, they weren't working to protest. And I think the working class story is just really important because these women, you know, had struggles and they had, you know, very little money and they always had hard jobs. And yet they still went out and protested. And my heart just goes out to those sort of women and girls that did that. I thought, you know, it's so much harder. And when they got into prison, they didn't have the, you know, the safety net that again, a lot of the richer women did have. So I wanted to tell their working class suffragette story within Lydia and and Violet
0: absolutely it's a beautiful blend of so many different sort of like tangents there where you talk about suffragettes we talk about inner struggles and antagonist forces and there's just it's very perfectly blended together in a very incaptivating and sort of very charming tale so uh, just to say the mermaid call is out now from Nosy Crow, you can definitely go and check it out now. It's been out a couple of weeks, 7th of July it dropped, uh, Alex. So I was wondering if yeah. you've had any sort of differences now, maybe some readers who've, it's gotten into their hands. You know, do, are you getting different readers from House in the Age the Mermaid Call? Or is there like some sort of people sort of blending together in in reading both books?
1: I think both are reading it yeah I mean you always have a concern with the word mermaid on the cover that it might go towards girls more but um but I'm, I've am i been doing events and meeting loads of boys who are coming in and because it's a it's about a monstrous mermaid you know it's about a legend as well so you know similar to look Ness so I'm, I'm glad that boys are receiving it well too it's been great I mean I've been going out a lot more because this time last year with the house on the edge I couldn't so I've been going into lots more schools and lots more bookshops so it is a different vibe you get you know just because you're out there and it's it's fantastic it's a real buzz I'm loving it
0: fantastic that's so good to hear and obviously like I said now you're in a we're in a better I wouldn't say COVID's over but we're in a better place for it now that we can go out and enjoy these sort of things so I'm really glad you're getting that full author experience uh, in that regard But also talking about the full author experience does have me wondering, because it was last year on episode 86 that you hinted about this Mermaidie book and we, we were talking about it and then we couldn't say much. So, again, we return to the writing desk, Alex. And is there yeah. another new book that's potentially coming out that we will sneak peek in this episode?
1: There is. There is. I'm just formulating story now, actually. I'm putting all the um, elements together to start writing it in September. I don't know how much I can say, and it's got a working title, so I think that will change. All I can say is it's about ice skating, and at the moment it's going to be set in my hometown of Sheffield, which is pretty important to me. And there's various elements about growing up in Sheffield that come into it as well. It's about ice skating. There's there's some protesting again, and there's some real difficulties um, for the two main protagonists in it. Involved bit of mystery, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, it'll be a good one. (laughs) <laughs> oh okay okay yeah I like that I, especially talking about like
0: doing books that sort of relate to to home like uh we recently had like quite a few authors on and a lot of their books tend to uh to place in places they're familiar with places they've grown up or you know uh areas that they are very dear to them maybe like uh ancestral or parental homes that like they blend yeah. into their stories so I feel like it's very it's a it's a, a good emotional sort of like support for an author I- to write deep meaningful words when they talk about special places
1: i think that is it i mean i'm very emotionally connected to sheffield and the school i went to there um and so yes when you're writing you can really live through that and i think it gives an extra depth to what you write hopefully so yeah i think it is really important
0: Uh, there you go so we have that to look forward to you'll start writing in september so hopefully see it next year
1: yes it is next year i think maybe towards the end but yes i think it is definitely next year
0: fantastic well there you go lovely listeners uh, if that doesn't sound intriguing, I don't know what will, but we are <laughs> very quickly approaching the end of today's episode, which means we're going to jump on to another competition time. Absolutely lovely listeners, it's time for the competition. All you have to do is head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club, all one long lovely words, and one of you lovely listeners will get a chance of winning the mermaid call. So how do you get your hands on the copy? Well, you go back onto that Twitter. You want to like and retweet the competition post using the hashtag mermaid comp that's mermaid comp and obviously we do always do a quizzy question because it's always fun to make our, our quiz a bit more fun so I love the fact that towards the end they have a parade for the the, the mermaid crown which is like a big mm-hmm. festival about mermaids but because they have finally sort of like thrown off the sort of stereotypical idealized mermaids of aesthetic everyone comes as anyone there's pirate mermaids there's a parrot per- <laughs> mermaid Uh, The boys get to be mermaids. Everyone gets to be mermaids. So we want to know if you could be your own mermaid, what sort of mermaid would you be? Alex, I'm going to bounce it back to you. If you could be any sort of mermaid, because I love throwing authors in at the deep end. uh, If you could be any sort of mermaid for the mermaid crown, what sort of mermaid would you be?
1: I have to go sort of evil dark mermaid, I think, without a doubt. Bring out right, the uh, monk in myself. <laughs> yes, I
0: think someone says they wanted to come as a sea witch in the book, don't they? Yeah, I think
1: that probably is me. Yeah, I probably put that in because that's what I would like to
0: come as. That is pretty cool. <laughs> I think, I, I think for myself, I, have, I absolutely love cats. Cats is kind of some of my obsession. If I came as a cat mermaid, I could be a cat fish oh my mermaid cat.
1: <laughs> my obsession too yeah like, little Come cat on. ears
0: but you know it's a cap top and then fish at the bottom you know it work.
1: fantastic and a can of fish and there's a tension there isn't there <laughs> constantly want to eat my own tail it'd be weird
0: <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> that's some of our ideas what are your ideas lovely listeners you can tell us with the hashtag mermaid comp on our twitter and one of you lovely listeners is going to win a copy of the book how's that sound Yay. alex
1: Brilliant. Fantastic. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. And this has been both brilliant and fantastic. Alex, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. Thank you for having me very much. Thank you. Absolutely. I won't let you completely disappear until you let our lovely listeners know how they can find out more about you and your books. Do you have
1: like a social media or a website they can go to? Yeah, I am on Twitter a fair bit. I am on at Alex F. Cotter. And then my website is Alex Cotter.co.uk.
0: Fantastic! And to you, lovely listeners, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Uh, don't forget, you're going to head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club to enter that fantastic competition. But you can also head over to our website BigKidsBookClub.com. There uh, you can find out additional reviews, previews, additional content, and now almost 150, and might be even more at the time of this release, 150 episodes of the Yay! show. So if you are just finding us, if you have managed for the past two years to not hear of us, and you're just finding us today you've got a lot of catching up to do is all I can <laughs> <That's> say <hours. laughs> lots of hours but we'll be here for the entirety of it so uh, once again I could just thank Alex for joining us on the show and to you lovely Thanks. listeners don't forget that you will see you next time on the show but until then all I can say is for you to take care to stay safe but most importantly to keep on reading